Chick Flick Chat is happily brought to you by BetterBrighterEasier.com, home of Rumigator, the natural neutralizer. Rumigator room freshener and linen spray is made with organic essential oils. They harness the power of Mother Nature to make your surroundings smell fresh and odor-free. Just shake and spray it anywhere where you need some freshening. Go greener with Rumigator, available at BetterBrighterEasier.com. Helpful things for a happy life. Enjoy the show. Everybody, it's Lucy Weston with Chick Flick Chat and a new episode. I'm very excited to talk to you today about the new Sylvester Stallone television drama called Tulsa King. Uh, so much to go over. We are only going to be discussing the first episode. So just so you know, if you haven't seen it yet, I am talking about the whole thing It's not like there's a lot of spoilers in this, but I am detailing from beginning to end. So if you haven't seen it yet and you like to not hear what I have to say until you've seen it, then you might want to wait. So that's your warning. Um, But if you have seen it, I think you're going to like a lot of what we're going to discuss here. Um, And as you know, I always try to discuss all the things you might talk about on the ride home from a movie or over dinner and Uh, It's just fun stuff, all the details. We dish all the details in the dirt. So, little bit of housekeeping. I know it's been a while since my last Chick Flick chat. And I do apologize and thank you to those listeners, regular listeners who have sent me emails wondering what happened. Uh, And I'll just give you the the quick uh, version of the six months of trying to clear up. I had some problems at the back end technologically with getting uh, the accounts straight and analytics and things like that. And it really took a while before I was comfortable knowing, all right, I can move forward, you know, confidently now that you guys are hearing this, things are working behind the scenes. I can track stuff. Uh, and it just was sort of a back and forth. And, you know, at the end of the summer, I just was like, okay, I got to get to this. And I didn't. And now I did. So it's all knock on wood, cleared up. And it's um, it's a lot of chick flick chats that are going to be coming your way. Uh, I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to do this weekly going forward or bi-weekly. It's just a matter of sort of, uh, you know, scheduling. And I watch so much content, so it's never a lack of that for me. And if you followed me for all these years, you know that. Uh, anyway, I'm looking forward to talking to you more and more. And again, if you if you like the show, please follow. Give me a review on, on whatever platform that you're listening, especially Apple Podcasts now, because that really helps other people find the show. And thank you for that. And share it with your friends or other, you know, film and television people that... Uh, like to talk about the movies because it's always a really good discussion format. Um, Tulsa King. Okay. Sly. Overall, I'm going to say this is a really pleasant experience as a show, but there were a lot of things that I thought could have been so much better for the first episode. Uh, okay. And what are those things, Lucy? Let me, let me share those with you. <laughs> uh, 
it you know the big question here i think with the advertising on the show was here's this first episode and it was supposed to be the second episode for free to capture the audience so that we would want to go to paramount plus which is different than paramount where they were airing, you know, a free episode uh, after Yellowstone, which is oh so popular, as everybody knows. Um, and it just didn't work out that way. It didn't work out in their, what they had prom- promoted. After the first couple of episodes of Yellowstone, it wasn't there. And then the following week, the first episode was there. And then the next week, the second episode was not there. I have tried to see the second episode, uh, and I have not yet because they're not offering it for free. And yet they've already scheduled a new season, which is surprising. I can't imagine they had that many people sign up, but maybe they did. I did hear uh, a little uh, side note uh, that Sly wasn't sure he wanted to do a second season. Okay, people, that is baloney. And you know what that is code for? I want more money. That's what that's code for. So I'm sure Sly is probably going to be getting uh, producer credit, executive producer credit if he doesn't already have it, and a whole lot more uh, cash to come back for the next season. Anyway, good luck to him for that. So first episode, is it strong enough for us to sign up? I don't know. Let's talk about it and maybe by the end we can decide. Uh, I did watch this twice. I watched it the first time as a reviewer, and I have to say, I there were holes. There were holes in it. There was holes in the acting, in the writing, the way... I don't necessarily want to say it was holes in the directing, because the director can only work with what's on the page and what he has with the actor. So I think some of that was... It was hard to get across. Overall, I think the direction was pretty good. Uh, the second time I watched it, I enjoyed it so much more because I was watching it as a viewer. And in just watching it as a viewer, I could see why people might want to sign up for this show and and continue with it. I kind of did too after the second time through, but not after the first time. So uh, a little background on the show. As you know, if you've seen it, he was in prison for 25 years and he gets out. And he's expecting a party. He's driving through Manhattan. They sent a car for him. He thinks he's going to Scores, the strip club, for a party. There's no party there. He goes to some house out in Long Island. It's the 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 Don, um, who's older now. You know, 25 years have passed. And that first whole scene was, I think it was probably the first scene they filmed. Because nobody was in sync. It was... Uh, how do I say this? It was contrived. Now, I'm half Italian, so I can say this. I don't want to get emails about how I'm bashing the Italians. I love the Italians. But it was such a goomba fest in that dining room. And it was, you know, they tried to give Sly, like, he's going to be the big man. I don't want anybody behind my back. Okay. Nobody likes that, but it just didn't fly. It didn't fly for me at all in that scene. And I he was doing the hand motions. Then he punches the guy out in the dining room. Like one punch, the guy is out cold. Come on now. I just, it was just too much, too much pinky rings around the table, if you know what I mean. I just was like, all right, they were really, really pushing here. And that scene itself overall, and I think this went to the acting in this scene, was there was no heat. There was no danger. You weren't worried about it. It was just sort of like, 
it like this. It just, uh, it wasn't, that wasn't the best opening, major opening scene to set up the story. Um, but one of the underlying things that happens in this, in that scene is that you see uh, Sly's character, whose name is uh, Dwight Manfredi, and we'll, we'll talk about his name in a minute. Um, he has a loss of a dream. He thought he was going to get this big welcome party and he, you know, all the accolades of having taken the fall for 25 years in prison and that none of that happened. And instead he gets banished to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they think they're doing him a favor. We're giving you this city. You can do whatever you want with it. And he's seeing it as, you know, another prison cell in a sense, like he's used to New York and he's, that's what he's had in his mind. And now he's going to some, you know, dust ball in the, in out in the, the West so they send him out there. Um, and in, in talking about him going to Tulsa, one of the things that, if you're watching the show, pay attention to the opening credit reel. It's actually excellent. And it's it really has, whoever did the art on it, had a really good vision and storyboard to share his sort of his... Um, uh, transformation from a New Yorker to an, an, an Okie, you know, an Oklahoman. And he, it's just really interesting overlays and similarities of shape and size and locations and how things go from the big city to the country. And yet they're, they're, they're different, but they're the same. Really, really good artwork on that. And the music throughout the show is pretty good too, just as another aside. So we find out that he has a wife named Marie and a daughter named Tina. And from the very opening scene, we see this letter he has. It says, like, Dear Daddy. It's from his kid. And she wrote, I guess, while he was in prison so he could buy himself something. And he still got the original $5, you know. Um, so we get their names, but we don't see a picture. We don't see a memory or a flashback of them. It's just, so it's, it's the no-faced uh, wife and daughter. And I talk about that because, you know, on Chick Flick Chat, we talk about the roles for women and women's roles. So we're going to come back to that. We'll circle back to that whole significance of that. Um, he gets to Oklahoma and, he, you know, first thing he does is he gets doused with holy water by a woman at the airport because he was cursing. And we're like, OK, so another sort of stereotypical the, um, impression of women, you know, the holy roller kind of thing. Like, oh, you should have your mouth cleaned out with the holy water. And Okay, you know, it is 2022, people. Let's get, you know, let's get with it. So the driver at the airport, that's just a happenstance. He says, you need a ride? I need a ride. He gets in the car. It's a guy named Tyson, who's uh, the actor Jay Will, who did a really nice job. I think he's going to be key in the show going forward. Uh, and they're driving and you know, it's, it's like, all right, this is where I think the first episode failed with what could have been really amazing, like comedy in what is supposed to be a serious show and almost make it like, bring it to like a black comedy level. And they failed in this where, you know, he's in this, uh, uh, I'll refer to him as Sly because you can't help but see him as Sly Stallone, even though he's, you know, Dwight Manfredi. Sly's in the back seat 
And he's asked, like, oh, if we only had a, a, a device to, like, look things up. Well, even though he was in prison, it's present day. They have cell phones. <laughs> like, I don't know where we we're supposed to think he was for 25 years. But even if he didn't get a cell phone for whatever reason, they would know about them. They would know about technology. They have computers in prisons. They have computer rooms. And I, I, I felt like there was something just off with that. I mean, not, I, I don't need to feel it. It was, it was off. It was off with the reference to the cell phone, to Google search. And even later when he's at the hotel, the woman says, you could get an Uber. And he's like, what's an Uber? And she's like, well, it's this thing you put on the app and on your phone. He's like, do you have an app on your phone? And it's a really cute scene. But I think it could have been played better where he gets a cell phone. Like maybe he buys one at the airport and he doesn't know how to use it. And all kinds of things are happening. And you know, if you've ever been around older people or people who've never had a smartphone, all they do is push buttons and nothing works right because they don't know what they're doing. And they're touching everything. And there's something in that that could have really been sort of, you know, him trying to reacclimate. They missed that. There was a whole thing of like just uh getting up to speed into the the modern world and they they referenced all the modern world when he took the drive from the prison all the way out to Long Island you see the uh, the new apple store on 5th avenue and you see the 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 people riding the the motorbikes through the city and everything else and it just didn't i don't know there that was like weak to me that they, they missed that with the writing um so they pull up at a pot dispensary and he's like, what is this? And without knowing anything, you know, he's not even on the ground 10 minutes. And they they get there and he goes in and he looks around and he he comes back in with the water bottle. And as you know, he hits, he knocks out the guard. And the manager of the shop, who's played by it's a character named Bodie, played by Martin Starr, who who's worked a lot. You've seen him in things. Um He's sort of the mild-mannered, like, accountant slash nerd, but now he's running this dispensary, and, uh, you know, we'll get to him in a second. So they're standing there, and the clerk, and I think this was the best line of the entire episode, where the clerk said, Bodhi says, are you from the government? Because Sly said, I want to look at your books. And he goes, I just knocked out your guard, and you think I'm from the government? And the kid goes, so you're not from the government? And it was like a really good moment. That kid, that was the scene for, for um, his last name is Connery. I don't know if he's Sean Connery's grandchild or not, but he actually, that was spot on. So kudos to him uh, making a very small role into his own. I like to see that. Um, so he infiltrates the place, basically. You know, he demands that he's going to take money. He's going to go on the take for them and he's going to give them protection. Again, too fast. Stake the place out. Let something happen there. Go in and save them. And then they owe you. Build the relationship. That's not what they did with the writing here. They just stuck him in there and it didn't quite, I felt like he was even uncomfortable as the character with it. Like it didn't, it's what they do, but it, I don't know, it just didn't fly smoothly and uh martin star as Bodie did a really good job sort of being sarcastic and and just sort of you know like skeptical and pissed off but not really showing it and you know he's 
he, he, as he says, this is legal. I'm doing something legal. But it really, you know, it's still got that, like, um, uh, pall on it of, like, yeah, it was always illegal for so many years. Now it's legal. But is it really legal? Because you can't put the money in the bank. And that is a true thing that they're sh- they're showing. They're, you know, doing on the – they don't put the money in the bank because then it becomes – it could be federally regulated. And the banks don't want the cash because it's state by state. That's a very uh, minor description and probably not completely accurate, so don't go with me on that. But uh, so they don't—they have these vaults of cash. They don't know what to do with, um, and the fact that they've been in business making all that much money and it just didn't—it didn't. There was more to that could have been played better and more in depth, building the relationships, and that's part of what I think they—they they skipped a lot here. Um, in the setup for the show, for the whole season. So, you know, Bodie's meek and mild, uh, but I I suppose as the season's going to go, we're going to see him have a change in his character, his basic demeanor, where he's going to break bad. And for any of you who've watched Breaking Bad, which was one of my all-time favorite shows ever, uh, most people's, you know what I mean, you know, with Walter White. Like, you do what you got to do, and then all of a sudden, all these other things happen to you and you become somebody you never thought you were going to be because of the circumstances. So that was all okay, but they failed in really building the opportunity of, you know, how he comes in and that they owe him and he, you know, he's anyway, all right, enough about that. Okay. So he hires Tyson, the cab driver, who's now going to be his personal driver. And he says, I want you to go buy me this car. And he hands him a picture of a magazine, which I really liked because probably he had that picture with him in jail. And he was like like a vision board, you know, he's watching and looking at this this car, dreaming about the day he gets out, he's going to buy this this beautiful truck. And again, the show is about dreams, in my opinion. There's an underlying message here of dreams. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's got to go build a new dream for himself. So it's, what is it going to be, you know, in the, for him and someone like him, a new car, shiny new car is a big thing. So he tells Tyson to go get this car and the next day he's waiting for his ride from Tyson in the new Lincoln Navigator and Tyson pulls up in his mother's car, which is like, you know, an older Toyota or something. And he gets out and and Sly says, uh, you know, I'm no expert, but that doesn't look like a Lincoln Navigator to me. And he, it was a good delivery. I got to give him that. You know, he was pushing the acting in a couple of the other scenes, but in the simple simplicity of a scene, he's actually pretty good. And Tyson says, well, they wouldn't give me the car. I wouldn't sell me the car because they thought I was a drug dealer. And the obvious implication is because, you know, he's black. And so Sly's like, take me to the, take me to the dealership. Now, here's where I think they handled something really well. What happened in that dealership manager's office is probably what has gone on many times in scenarios similar to that. And I can say that because I'm sure and I can envision my Uncle Tony, who now just actually recently passed away, uh, doing exactly that in his heyday with his, you know, one or two of his guys walking into a place and saying, hey, you disrespected my friend, take that and give me this and walking out with what he wants. That was 
probably a really well-based true scene in many people's lives. So I thought that was good. I thought that the guy, I don't know the actor's name who played the dealership manager, but he was good. Um, he's like, I'm going to want the car fully loaded. So it, that was a good scene. And it shows you how he takes things. He doesn't back down from a fight. He initiates stuff, meaning Sly. And he even makes this comment, and here's where we see that there's foreshadowing. If you watch Tyson's eyes, as, as Sly says, he's a good kid. You wouldn't sell him the car. Um, we, he's, his eyes slide a little bit to the side, like, uh-oh. Like, he know, you know in that moment that he's thinking, I'm not such a good kid. He's probably been in trouble before. Uh, he did make a comment that his own car had been repossessed. You know, again, we don't know what happened to him yet. We're going to find out, I'm sure. Uh, and we're probably it's going to be that he had some dream that didn't work out and he fell into something and got in trouble and things just went from bad to worse. He ends up driving this cab at, at the airport. And so when he gets offered this job as as uh, this, the driver for Sly you know, for $2,000 a week, it's, it's a dream come true in a sense. So he's out of his hole. Um, and, and we start to see the makings of the crew. You know, you have Bodie, you've got, uh, um, uh, Tyson. They don't know it yet. And we're not really supposed to know it yet. And Sly probably doesn't really know it yet, but it's starting to come together. And it's also replicated that that theme is replicated in the cowboy bar, that he picks and likes, and I, I think it's called like Born to, wait, Born to Buck? Something like, because they go on the bull and they, they buck the bull. Um, so he goes into the bar and he, and he starts getting, kind of uh, drumming up a relationship with the bartender owner. And in the second interaction he has with the bartender, oh my gosh, I can't remember the bartender's name in the, in the show. Uh, in, hmm, sorry. I'll have to look that up. Uh, so that we find out they recognize each other in the sense that they're of the same ilk. They're, they're both ex-cons. They have tats and that, you know, they say like he tells slices where he was in Pennsylvania. And then this other guy says he was up for something for seven years. And again, he tells a story about how he was in the rodeo and then he got hurt. And I guess he got addicted to opioids and the dream died and he ends up in prison. And now he has this bar, which may be a little bit far-fetched because I think if you're a felon, you can't have a license to sell alcohol, but that might be state to state. So that might be another writer. Oops. Not sure about that. Maybe in Oklahoma you can. Uh, and there's a little side note that I, it was snuck in. And it would be interesting to see what happens is that the father, the bartender's father's at the bar. And he's like, I got to take him to work with me so I can babysit him. And he's an old guy and he looks kind of rough and tumble. And I thought, oh, they're going to use him in some way in the future. Like he's got some skill that, you know, is whatever we'd find out. Um, so... Uh, anyway, all right. So we, we get to see that they're starting again, another crew member, or at least a helper or an organizer. Something's coming together with the, with the bartender as well. Uh, let me just look at my notes here. You know, you guys all know, if you listen to me, how many notes I have. Uh, so the, the crew so far, 
that's kind of filling in the, the, the empty spaces, so to speak, casting themselves. They're all kind of on the outside of the law. They're in the inside within the law, you know, driving a cab, owning a bar, or running a dispensary that's now legal. But technically, they've all had something probably that was on the outside of the law. So they've walked the line of both sides. And Dwight Manfredi, Sly, we don't know that he ever walked the line because he, of, of being on the inside of the law, you know, the right side of the law. Because he did say his father wanted him to be a barber. And he said, I want to be the best gangster ever. So your his intention and his dream was to be the gangster. And I guess that's what he is, but it's what's what's the variable of that? How do you want to be the gangster? How do you see yourself? If you see yourself as the big capo and you just did 25 years upstate for another capo and you you have this life that isn't what you thought it was going to be and your wife won't talk to you and your daughter won't talk to you. That's not really the dream. So now he's rebuilding. We're seeing the rebuilding. We're seeing the outside uh, uh, desires starting to manifest that it, it isn't what he got. Now it's what does he want? So we're going to go forward with that. Uh, and then, of course, in comes the girls, so, and when I say girls, you know, the show really kind of presented them as that. First, you, you get this girl that comes up to him at the bar uh, and says, like, are you famous? Like, it really played, I don't know if that was a directorial uh, choice or the actress's choice, but played it like a, you know, like a, like a knucklehead. And um, he's like, oh, honey, if I were famous, you would know, right? You don't have to ask people who are famous. And it just sort of like this little... So he rebuffs her. And then the next girl that comes up. So the one that was real willing, he rebuffs. Okay. And she goes away. And the next girl who comes up to him says, hey, why were you rude to my friend? So she's confrontational. And he likes that. So because remember, he's, he introduces himself to the bartender as the general, you know, Dwight, the general Manfredi. He's named after. And remember, I said we were going to pick up on this. I'll, I'll do it now. He's named after what I assume is General Eisenhower, Dwight D. Eisenhower. That's why his name is Dwight, because I don't know many Italians whose name, first name is Dwight. Uh, it's quite unusual. So, you know, and Eisenhower was always leading and fighting and ready for battle. So I guess that's what we're supposed to overlay onto. Dwight Manfredi, that he's always leading, he's fighting, he's ready for battle, he doesn't mind a confrontation. That's where he comes from. That's who he is. Um, so he meets this girl, and I'm going to call her No Name, and there's a point to that. So the No Name woman comes up to him, and, and she's like, hey, why were you rude to my friend? And he's like, Whoa. and somehow, you know, he, he turns it around, he's like, you don't know how to party, and I'll show you how to party. He's new, and he takes her to some club with all her bridesmaid girlfriends and the bride-to-be, and they go to this dance club or strip club, and they're all dancing and drinking and having fun, and he's at the table, and, you know, it was somewhat cliched, but you you get the, the what they wanted to convey. I think in the scene is that he's very chivalrous. Yeah, easy for me to say. He's very chivalrous, and he pays the manager of the bar to to watch out for the the girls that he brought in. And then, of course, one of them is getting manhandled. 
by some, you know, redneck in the bar and he gets up and he goes over and he gives him the one-two right-hand punch that he gave to the guy early on and that guy goes down. And then he goes back and he sits down and, you know, like nothing ever happened. So it's like, okay, so he doesn't back down and, you know, okay. And the girls are all going crazy because this is the most wild night of their lives. He's showing them a good time. It was a, it, it is, it's a little contrived. Um, but then again, he gets a second chance of being like a gentleman when he, he picks up no name. I mean, he'd already picked her up, but the, he gets her to leave for she, you know, they're going to leave together. And as they're leaving that bar, he takes his jacket off without her asking, and puts it on her, uh, which there was a continuity issue. She doesn't have a sweater and he puts his jacket on her. Well, later when she leaves his hotel room, she had a sweater. So where did the sweater come from? Because they didn't even have a car. And anyway, all right. So I was like, oh, the wardrobe people. Hello, ding, ding, ding. So um, in their encounter, it's post-coital. And they're, you know, he's sitting around. And, and Sly looks good, I have to say. He looks good. And he reveals that he's 75. And she freaks. She freaks. We don't know how old she is. Uh, it's the actress, Andrea Savage. I'm guessing she's around 40. She looks great. You know, that kind of thing. And she's freaked out. And one of the things she revealed before she has the freak out is that she's going through divorce. And this encounter with Dwight is in Sly is kind of put her over the top. There's no going back now. And... I can't remember if she said she had a kid or not. I think she might have a, don't quote me on that. So she has a broken dream. So all these people, there's something off, you know, and, and then she freaks out for some reason that he's 75 and she's like, that's okay. That's okay. I gotta go. I gotta go. She gets her sweater that we didn't see earlier in any, either at the first bar or the second bar. And she runs out and he says, I don't even know your name. And she's like, let's leave it like that. So she's this, you know, the the no-name woman that he had this encounter with. And, okay, we're going to come back to this. So in the meantime, at some point, I can't remember in the order, he's in the mall with Tyson, his driver. And they're eating ice cream. And he gets, and Sly gets up and he's walking down through the mall and across the mall uh, flooring is this guy's like watching him and he gets on the phone and he says, you know, can you tell me if there's any chance in hell that Dwight Manfredi is in Tulsa, Oklahoma? Well, it turns out obviously law enforcement, either FBI or something, it's Max Casella. And for those of you, when you see him, because he's such a grown up now, you know, he's an adult male, we all know him from Doogie Hauser. He was the kid that used to come in the window that lived next door who I think his name was Vince in the show, in, in uh, Doogie. But anyway, Max Casella always does a good job. So that, you know, if you're going to be watching the rest of the show, I'm sure he's going to show up a few times. And and, and we, the assumption is that Max Casella's character is from New York since he was using a very thick New York accent to get it across that that's why he rep, he recognized Dwight Manfredi out in Oklahoma. Um so, okay, to wrap up what the the scenes in the scenario is, at the end, you the second to last scene, you see 
uh, no-name female. And they always, with with shows that are, oh, let me finish the one thought. In the end, you have the reveal of no-name at a table of law enforcement. And they're putting up things on the screen and they're like, yeah, we just got notification that this guy might be in Tulsa. And whose picture, lo and behold, is on the screen, but... White man Freddie. And she's like, oh, fuck. Because she knows she slept with him and she's an FBI agent. So therein lies the conflict of what's going to come down the pike. Um, a point I just was going to make about, let me just look at my notes, is that when you have a show that, uh, or even a movie, that is heavily male cast, testosterone filled, scenarios you know it's all about men running things the female element uh is always um they're either the friend or the foe so in this case because remember he's divorced from his wife who won't talk to him so she's was his friend is now his foe same for his daughter now he's got this new no-name woman that you know we're going to find out who she is but so is she the friend or the foe? Well, she started out kind of as a friend, doesn't want to be his friend, and now she's going to be his foe because she's in the FBI. So we don't know how, it, it really sets up for some really good drama because we don't know how she's going to feel about him, seeing him in the future. Now she knows who he is. He doesn't know who she is. And will she end up having feelings for him and be his friend or will it be the double-edged sword that she's his friend and his foe, or just his foe? Because now she's, you know, she's going to get points on her, uh, on her badge if she takes down Dwight Man Freddie and his crew, whatever they're going to be doing. Which I suspect is going to have a lot to do with drugs and running drugs, since they're starting with this pot dispensary thing, and maybe expanding from there. Um, okay. Overall. So that was the show. Overall, let's talk about some of the details that, you know, everybody wants to talk about. The acting is good from some people, better from others. Sly had his moments of nice delivery, doing a little bit more than he typically does, but he also relied on the typical Sly show. And because he's so light as a person, as an actor, and when I say actor, as Rambo, as Rocky, uh, he doesn't really have to have many moves to the basket, if you know what I mean. Like, he can pretty much bring... It's like Don Johnson with Sonny Crockett. Don Johnson plays Sonny Crockett in everything, because everybody loves Sonny uh, Sonny Crockett in Miami Vice. So Sly does the same thing. No matter what age he's been, from Rocky all the way through all these other shows, he's still the same, it's still the same Sly show. And it's, there's no difference here with Dwight Manfredi. Uh, and I'm not criticizing him. I don't think it's a bad thing because we like him. So we're coming to it, giving him a chance. We have hope as the audience that this is going to be a really good show and a good story and you want him to win. And I think that's one of the benefits of having an actor like a a Sylvester Stallone play a role like this is that you run a root for him. You know, when The Sopranos started, we didn't really know a lot of those characters. We got to love them and like them and, and, you know, you had a, 
you, and sometimes you had a love-hate relationship with some of them, but you got to know them. Not many people knew James Gandolfini uh, as an actor. And so he, it was a blank slate. They could make it whatever they want. Here, it's not the same scenario. We already know Sly. He's coming to this. He's bringing all his slyness with him. Um, and we want him to win, we think, so far. You know, he didn't show us anything that made us, in the character, not want him to win or to fulfill his dreams. Um, so, all right, let me just see some of my notes here. We'll talk about the casting. I did a little bit already. I think it's pretty good so far. I'm really curious as to who they're going to uh, cast as the wife, Marie. I did look at the cast list on IMDb. There is no Marie listed. But here's the thing. Dana Delaney is on the cast list, but she has not been seen yet on the show. And maybe by the second or third episode, possibly. But Dana Delaney typically does not take a small role. She will have a pivotal role. But the name that under her uh, picture for the casting, it's not Marie. It's like Margaret or uh, Marguerite or something. So unless he's giving her a nickname, I don't know. But I have to think it might be Dana Delaney as the wife, the ex-wife. That's right in the age for casting. It's it's probably the look that they'd be thinking that, you know, when they were younger and she was like a... a so I, I don't know. You know, I I have a long history with Dana Delaney. So anyway, it's uh, I, it'll be curious to see what happens with her. Um, from my acting days, I mean. So, okay. All right. The direction was decent overall. Again, like I said early on, sometimes it's the writing and the acting. You can't quite get what you want in your vision onto the screen. There's a lot of elements and factors that go into it. Uh, I do think the writing was a little, it was all good, but it could have been great. If they had play, didn't play the quick, we got to get it on there and like spoon feed the audience of what was going to happen, it would have been much better had it been just a bit slower. And, and when I say that, think about a show like Breaking Bad or even The Sopranos where it didn't always move that fast. We didn't need it to because the detail and the depth of the characters is what kept you intrigued. We don't need surface if you're going to invest in a show like this or even Yellowstone for the people who are Yellowstone fans, and I haven't gotten to see the recent season yet. I've been watching other stuff, getting ready for Chick Flick Chats. Um, but Yellowstone takes its time and you take your time with it, even though sometimes like I do hear people say, oh, it was a slow episode. Well, but sometimes that slow episode sets up for such good content and, and such a, a payoff. And I think here the writers went a little bit uh, off the rails with moving things along too quick. We didn't need to know that No Name was an FBI agent at the very end of the first episode. Why not let us, let us see a little relationship start there and then we all get a big surprise. She gets a surprise, we get a surprise. That wasn't enough of a surprise to make you go, oh my God, you know, she's the, and even Ozark, Ozark was, they were masterful at building the tension little by little by little where your brain filled in, your imagination filled in a lot of what could happen or might happen or, and you start thinking about it. And then when, what actually does happen, 
it's either you're either on spot on or it's it's a complete surprise and that makes it even more like oh my god i didn't see that coming um and there were many times in ozark that that happened uh i don't want to say certain ones in case you haven't seen it but i mean i think everybody's seen it uh anyway in hair makeup and wardrobe okay sly whatever he's doing he looks good. Little too much dark tan makeup, I thought, in a few scenes. I think they're trying to make him look more Italian, uh, maybe. Or he was just very pale, and they I don't know what happened there. And the hair looks good. I know he was doing some weird things with his hair. I don't know if it's plugs a while back. But there's a scene where he's in the bar, and it's it's a profile shot. You could tell he's wearing a piece. At least it's like a it's like a fill in I think, um, so, but it looks good. It looks good overall. But it is a lot. It's like Italian hair, you know, that they got to slick back and all. My uncle Don wore it like. <laughs> so anyway, um, the wardrobe is good. I thought it was all very appropriate to the scenarios and you know where they were and who they were. Uh, and, and funny thing is when he's wearing, he's in the bar and he's comparing. Uh, alligator boots or lizard boots that's what it is with one of the cowboys and he puts his foot up on the bar stool and he's like these are handmade in Italy and he's wearing dress shoes and like Italian guys in their dress shoes you know it's that's what they wear it's like if they could wear them with jeans they would so if you remember in the Sopranos that scene when Uncle uh, Polly Walnuts and Chris Christopher Christopher was running through the woods and he had, and uh, Polly Walnuts had his dress shoes on. He was like, these are my dress shoes. <laughs> and it was all snowy and freezing cold. Well, I, anyway, I, I got off track there. But if I'm just giving you a little reminder of how, how much the Italians like their dress shoes. Um, okay, we talked about his name. So overall, the, the theme here is he's a fish out of water. Let him be a fish out of water. Let's see him flopping around a little bit where before he gets his, you know, his fins under him, so to speak, so that he can really, and we as the audience can really enjoy his journey. And that's, I think, you know what, let me say, that's where I was going earlier. Uh, They just rushed it and we didn't get, we're not getting the joy of that. There's really fun a lot of color in in having him be that fish out of water to the max. Not where he's goofy or clownish, but just where he's like, it's all so new. He just got out of prison. He's in a new city. It's like a completely different atmosphere and people and the way they're raised than New York. Like, let's see it. Maybe that's coming. I don't know. You know, Um, but there wasn't enough in the first episode. Even think about my cousin Vinny. Right when they go into that town, Joe Pesci and, and um, uh, uh, gosh, what's her name? Hmm. Uh, and, you know, he's dressed and she's got like they're in the leather and they're way out of out of their their element. Like it's funny and it's it's who they are and it just it works. So here was a little bit. Hmm. But I wondered about the shoes if at maybe some point in the series he will get a pair of cowboy boots and start wearing the cowboy boots, which if you've never worn cowboy boots, the first few times you wear them, they are hard to walk in. Like you have to really break them in and sort of get used to it because they change your gait as as you move. Uh, but it'll be like a coronation for for um, uh, Dwight Man Freddy if he gets the cowboy boots and gives up his his uh, you know his dress shoes. 
uh, from Italy. So that would be that would be an interesting take. And if any of the writers listen to this, I think you should use that. I don't think it would be good. Uh, so the roles for women. Overall, it was a little that was a little disappointing so far in the show. I'm not surprised. Uh, it's not very promising so far. We'll see. So we have you know the wife and daughter, no face but names, and then we have the face of the girl of uh, the the FBI agent he picked up, but no name. Uh, we got the dumb girl. We got the woman at the airport. You know the typical lady at the hotel who's like weathered and you know obviously had a rough rough life. Very very stereotypical. Uh, we're going to see how much of a, a role they have and how this works so far. Are, is there going to be a female on the crew? You know, he's building this crew of broken dream people. And like, are we going to get a female somewhere along the way? That remains to be seen. So I'm so glad we talked about this. Uh, can you tell I've been, I've been saving up to talk to you about this show because there was a lot in the, you know, the, the first episode. Um, so to answer our first question, does it make us want to join Paramount Plus? I still don't know. What do you think? You can always email me or, or, you know, leave a comment. Um, and uh, again, you know, we're going to see what happens. I might, I might end up seeing the rest of it and then, you know, doing another chick flick chat towards the end. I'm not going to promise that because there's so much else going on uh, content-wise that I want to cover. But I hope this helped you and I hope uh, it sets you off, you know, if you are watching the rest of it or you haven't. And thank you so much for listening. And that was the chick flick chat on Tulsa King. I will see you next time. And that's a wrap. This is Lucy Weston. Thank you so much for listening to this updated podcast of Chick Flick Chat. And you can always find me at betterbrightereasier.com, home of Rumigator, the natural neutralizer. Chat with you next time. Bye for now.